0: Welcome to Life is a Story We Tell Ourselves. Thank you for joining us for our debut. I'm Don Murphy, your host and storyteller. Joining me is my co-host and daughter, Anna Murphy.
1: Hello, and thank you so much for being here with us. My father and I will be bringing stories to your family each week from his journal. We want to share stories with you that encourage us all to find the extraordinary in the ordinary through reminiscing and storytelling, because life is is a story we tell ourselves.
0: And we have something special for our listeners. We invite you to join us by submitting your stories to tell. In a future episode, we will let you know how you can audition your stories to be featured on the podcast, Life is a Story We Tell Ourselves. Subscribe to the podcast and you will receive regular updates. Our first podcast is a story that pays homage to mothers, but with a twist that will have you in stitches. Listen to this Mother's Day memory from my journal about a culinary calamity. I have watched TV cooking shows in amazement, as chef after chef or contestant after contestant he praised praise upon and gave credit to either their grandmother or mother for their cooking prowess. My mother and grandmother could not cook worth a lick, but they did inspire me, never ever to cook that badly. I was 15 years old as I stood watching my mother attempt to make a chocolate layer cake. I don't know if she really liked to bake or not, but I do know she belonged to a number of women's clubs, the Minister's Wives Union, the Baptist Missionary Society, the PTA, and yes, back then it was all women, and others that required her to take baked goods to parties and meetings. But on this occasion, I believe she was trying to bake for the family. I was the only family member brave enough to watch the baking disaster unfold. It started out well enough with the mixing of the batter, me licking the beaters, and the eventual smell of something wonderful in the oven. Two pans emerged that looked wonderful at first glance and cool to icing readiness. They didn't fall. They held their shape. But it was not an even shape. So uneven did the shape of the layers prove to be that once icing commenced it became apparent that the cake listed to one side a lopsided chocolate leaning tower of pizza that refused to be straight no matter how my mother tried for some time she was calm too calm if you knew my mother nudging the cake to erectness slowly applying the icing even taking the layers apart at one point to apply more icing between the layers "'to coax the cake to its proper stature. "'Suddenly, in a fit of frustration, "'my mother picked up the plate that held the cake "'and body slammed it down on the table. "'I was not surprised or shaken. "'I knew my mother all too well. "'My father appeared but knew better "'than to try to offer any kind of solace. "'She disappeared into her bedroom "'and I didn't see her for several hours.' I knew she would emerge when it was time for the I Love Lucy show. My mother had a beautiful operatic voice, and you could hear her laughter a block away as the comedic shenanigans of Lucille Ball soothed away the pains of another culinary calamity. But just because my mother could not cook did not mean she was not talented in other areas. She could sing like the best of the opera divas of her day, and was better than average on the piano. But her real talent was growing roses and bird of paradise. She kept a small but robust variety of roses. However, at a young age, she developed congestive heart failure, and when she could no longer care for her roses, she chose me to tend her garden, and I loved it. Today, in our home, I have a rose garden dedicated to to the memory of my mother, along with many bird-of-paradise that are always in bloom. It's a legacy worth far more than chocolate layer cakes.
1: That's such a beautiful story about my grandmother. Thank you for sharing that with us, Dad. And a happy Mother's Day to all the families out there, and a special happy Mother's Day to my mom. Now, Dad, you've told a lot of stories over the years, but one that's timely right now is about prom season. Families across the country should have been preparing for prom. Instead, they've been sheltered in place for incredibly long periods of time. While prom is a meaningful experience and a rite of passage, sometimes not going to prom can be an adventure of its own. I know you didn't attend your senior prom, but found meaningful memories nonetheless. So why don't you tell us about what happened when you planned to go to your prom?
0: My senior prom was the same week in the early spring of 1968 that Martin Luther King was murdered. Brenda Hatcher and I had been friends since our junior year when we met on student council. I was junior class president, and Brenda had taken my place as class representative. I thought we were soulmates, but I discovered later that soulmate doesn't mean romantic mate or lifetime mate or any of those other romantic notions of soulmates. Three days before our senior prom, Brenda asked me to meet her after school to talk. I assumed it was about our plans for the senior prom, and I was right, and I was wrong. Brenda explained to me that I had not actually asked her to the prom, and as a result she had decided to go with someone else. I was a little surprised, but the surprise quickly turned to indifference. We had been as close as two people could be during our senior year. I had been expected to run for student body president, but instead decided to back Brenda. I wrote her speeches, campaigned for her, and lost several close friends over my commitment to my soulmate. I went home and waved off questions from my mother about senior prom and Brenda. And not knowing quite what I was going to do with myself, I stood on the front porch, chain-smoking and flicking the butts onto the sidewalk in front of the house. I was blowing smoke rings when my father called to me that Charles Thomas was on the phone. Mr. Thomas was president of the Los Angeles chapter of the NAACP. I was its youth president. Mr. Thomas was a big, brown-skinned man who always had a cigar in his mouth, sucking on it like it was a piece of candy. I had recruited a naive but dedicated group of activists and protesters, and Mr. Thomas wanted me to gather up my courageous crew and come with him to Las Vegas where we would join the picket line of culinary workers and maids who were protesting for fair wages and reasonable working hours. So, instead of going to my senior prom, I activated our phone tree, in this case me calling about 50 teenagers, and got about 10 of my fellow fighters for justice to agree to follow me and off we went through the desert to Las Vegas. My little crew was motivated by a sense of adventure and anticipated fun as much as a fight for justice. So when we arrived in Las Vegas, the first attractive novelty was the vibrating bed in our motel rooms. The excitement and hormonal chaos caused by the sex bed soon turned to business. We were all called to join the picket line. In the hot, oppressive Las Vegas sun we held up our signs and marched around in a circle in front of the hotel on a section of the strip in quiet, resolute protest. Little Pam Hayes nearly fainted and had to be taken inside for relief. Charles Thomas appeared beside me and pulled me from the picket line. I was part of the leadership, he told me, and I had to join him and other civil rights leaders in a meeting with management who had agreed to negotiate. I followed Mr. Thomas to a dimly lit meeting room in a hotel whose name i would long forgotten. I sat with other civil rights leaders and hotel workers at one end of the table. Hotel management sat at the other end, but these were not your college-educated, clean-and-shiny hotel managers that you see today. To me, they all look like hardened gangsters, and not the kind you see in the movies, rather the kind who you know at a glance would kill you if it would benefit their cause. At the other end of the table across from me sat a mountain of a man who was the equal to the gangsters that sat at the other end of the table. But this was no gangster. I recognized him immediately as Charles Evers, the brother of assassinated civil rights activist Medgar Evers, who was shot in the back by a white supremacist in the driveway of his own home. I don't remember much from that meeting except the impression left upon me by the face of Charles Evers. His face had the mark of a man deeply wronged, a righteous anger too deep for tears, and a determination that transcended fierceness and became otherworldly everything that he was everything that had happened to him all of the weight of his life was plainly manifest in that face the mob men at the other end of the table could not intimidate this man and i drew strength just from being near him all i can remember now after more than six decades is the meeting dragged on well into the night And when I rejoined my fellow activists, something in me had changed. I saw in my fellow protesters little children, who should be at home partying the weekend away. But there they were, seeking relief in some long-forgotten TV mindlessness and food brought to us by our comrades and sojourners for justice. The culinary workers and maids would eventually win their fight for better wages and working conditions. Many years later, when my children attended their senior proms, after the obligatory prom pictures and the admonitions about safety and curfew, I would find a quiet place and recall the face of Charles Evers and tearfully mourn the death of his brother Medgar who was only 38 years old when he was murdered by a cancerous evil that infects America to this day. He now rests in Arlington National Cemetery with full military honors.
1: Thank you for sharing that story from your journal, Dad. You know, I didn't hear all of that story until long after my prom. I had such a typical prom experience, and that experience was meaningful to me. I hope that all those high school students out there choose to do something meaningful in their own ways. In retrospect, you can clearly see how your life becomes a story. Thank you for sharing your stories with us. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening to the debut episode of Life is a Story We Tell Ourselves. Please remember to subscribe and share with your family and friends. You can also find us on the web at lifeisastorypodcast.com. On next week's episode, you won't want to miss the story about a spirit-filled choir member who the spirit almost carried home to glory one Sunday morning. From our family to yours, stay safe, share happiness, and remember, the important thing is not to stop questioning. Curiosity has its own reason for existing.